iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Who are you? Greg Marinovich. Kevin Carter. Stuff only looks good up close. A fantastic run. Absolutely. Did I just get a job? So you decided to join up with these crazies, eh? Hey? You ready? You're lucky because you're white. You can go anywhere. Don't you at least pretend to be scared? I don't date photographers. You keep terrible hours. And you're crazy. And then there's some bad stuff too. I'm a photographer. I want to hear your side of the story. This is a white man's photo taken for white man's purposes. Stop it! Stop taking pictures. What if he's not guilty? Doesn't matter. They're right, you know. All of the people that say that it's our job to sit there and watch people die. too graphic. You know we're not going to be able to use the pictures. And what am I doing out there? What's wrong with you? This place. I've hated all. The government is using it to show how we animals cannot govern ourselves. So what do you think? I'm haunted by the vivid memories of killings and corpses and anger and pain. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Karen James of James on Screens, part of the IndieWire blog network, and tonight's guests, Stephen Silver, Taylor Kitsch, and Greg Marinovich. Thank you all for coming. Just so you know who's who, this is to my direct right, Stephen Silver, the writer and director of the film. In the center, Greg Marinovich, who is played by Ryan Phillippe in the film. This is based partly on his uh, life story and his book. I don't know who this guy is. I have no clue. <laughs> Taylor Kitsch, of course. So as you can tell from the trailer, this is a very intense film. And I think it's even more timely now because as we've heard in the last few days, there have been journalists killed in Libya and all the things you're showing on screen are still going on all around the world. Tell us about your experience in South Africa, because you were there in 94 when these events were happening, and what led you to make the film? Um, is this on? Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I grew up in South Africa, and when I was somewhat younger, I uh, uh, joined the uh, anti-apartheid movement. I was a student activist, and 
um, ran a student movement there in, in 1990 and 1991. Um, so I lived through um, that period in South Africa and had quite a, an intimate connection with that time. So in one way, the film was a chance for me to revisit that time in my life without doing something that was obviously autobiographical. Um, I have memories of, uh, we've never met, but I have memories of, of them, um, of these photographers who, um, on the one hand, looked pretty cool in black jeans and black leather jackets, but uh, more notably when the bullets would start to fly and the rest of us would run and, and duck. They would run too, but they would uh, often run towards where it was happening and would take these extraordinary photographs. Many years later, someone suggested to me um, the idea for a film that was somewhat more built around Kevin Carter's life story. Um, and um, I was making another film in South Africa, met Greg and Zhao, and uh, thought this, this, you know, their story, um, uh, this is before there was a book even, uh, they were working on a manuscript at the time and I optioned the rights to their life story the manuscript, the forthcoming, the, the forthcoming book, and, uh, and that's where it began. What began a very long journey to uh, try and get the film made. How many years did it take? More than I want to say out loud. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, from the moment it was financed, it went very well, but this film is, was not easy to finance. Films like this are, are tricky. It's a, it's a film from, you know, the middle of Africa and... Um, and uh, it's, it's it just, uh, yeah, they're tough to finance. Taylor, tell us about your character, Kevin Carter. And on screen, we see that he's a very talented mess, pretty much. It must have been a very intense experience to play him and prepare to do that. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I see him as this, this very talented mess. So obviously, that was a part of it and his decline and <coughs> with what inevitably happened, but... I, I love to focus, and we are very conscious of it as well, of not just to focus on the drug aspect of it, which can easily overshadow or have a tendency to overshadow who he was um, <clears throat> and how we wanted to play him. But I think so much more to me was the empathetic and, and the caring guy and just how affected he was and how much he wanted to make a change. Mm -hmm. And that was, to me, what drove so much of it, rather than focusing on you know, just the mess part of it, you know? Um, and I can't remember the other part of the question. <laughs> what did you do to prepare to play him? Oh, right. Um, well, I was playing a, a character, Tim Riggins, before um, when I got this gig. And uh, he's a bit bigger, well, a lot bigger. And so just to get the physicality of Kevin where I felt it needed to be, I, I think it helped me so much to lose the weight and to shadow a photographer in Los Angeles really just envelop yourself with uh, the camera, the film cameras, because uh, they're a very intimidating thing um, for me before I started. Um, and then, you know, and then just trying and, and researching, talking to this guy and, and Joao and, and um, making simple choices, but really focusing on, on, on just doing those choices well, because it, like you said, there's so much going on with this guy. You can... It's. I'm not gonna get emotional. Um, there's just a lot going on with him, so it was. Um, 
just keeping the doing the right the simple things right and greg did you work with ryan Philippi when he was preparing to play you who ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yes he um Long guy uh it's on yeah he came out we spent about five or six days before shooting started i suppose there was some preliminary issue but anyway five or six days and he just hung out at my place and it, uh, you know he he kind of was just trying to absorb the character and that and it was very interesting it was mm -hmm. really nice and like all the actors they it's the first feature film i've watched being made and it was quite interesting to see how hard they worked at getting into character. It was, it was, it was very interesting. There was one scene which comes quite near the end of the film and uh, involves them, uh, the photographers running out from behind a, a big armored vehicle towards a wall. And, uh, and we did a, a rehearsal of the scene and Greg and, and Zhao were on, were on set. And uh, they ran out from behind the truck and kind of ran towards this wall where they had to duck down and uh, Greg and Jazz said, no, 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 that's not how we run. That's, uh, and uh, jumped into the scene, ran in and slid into the wall on their knees. And uh, uh, right away at the next rehearsal, I had four actors sliding into the wall on their <laughs> knees. And, so, yeah. and Taylor, how did you research all that part of it? Because Kevin is not here to talk to. What did you do in your own mind to, to put yourself in that situation? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I truly feel blessed that we could be in South Africa doing this. And um, I really didn't even, I don't even know if I told you this, but I wasn't uh, even expecting a vulture, you know, truly. I mean, I think that's just incredible that we could have done that and uh, with the child. So really, uh, the biggest part, uh, first of all, I had Joao there. Um, and I talked to him about it. And that was probably... And he's I one of the other Bang Bang Club photographers in the absolutely. film. Absolutely. And um, he was in the Sudan with Kevin. Yeah. And he's the guy who talked to him right after, too, which has been this or fabricated thing, too. There's a lot of things of what Kev did after, the film, mm -hmm. after taking that shot, too, that um, are true and untrue, uh, according to Zhao. So you talk to him, and I, I think, you know, you, the bottom line for me playing that scene was... Obviously, it's one that's circled in the script that, you know, it's super important. And um, just the emotion, you know. Uh, uh, you know how Kev was so affected by it. So uh, for me personally, playing that and doing that, um, being honest to that was everything to me. Um, so, and uh, we felt we did that and, um, and achieved it. And um, having Zhao there was... Um, it's a lot, you know. I think it's so much for these guys, you know, I'm sure. And I think it just brings up your game and you'll do anything, you know, to... It means so much for these guys to say, you know, good job or whatnot, you know, to do it justice. So um, to have him there was, was huge for me, a huge help. Can you update us on what's happened to him since the film uh, ended? Yes. Uh, in November last year, Joao stepped on a landmine in southern Afghanistan and he suffered massive injuries, including the loss of his, the lower part of both of his legs and uh, internal injuries. And he's still in hospital, in fact. Mm -hmm. So all this danger still continues 
right up to last week. Um, tell us about making the film in South Africa. It looks like, you said it was not a big budget film, but it looks like you've got some big action scenes there in crowds, and how did you manage to do that? One of the early choices we made with the film was to shoot it in the exact locations, uh, as far as, in as far as we could, that the events took place. Um, so even at times on the exact city street or city block um, where those events took place. And what that meant was that many of the extras that you see in the film are not, uh, are not actors. They are people from those communities um, who participated in the film. And so in many instances they are uh, remembering rather than acting. Um, and I think that brought a certain... Um, well, a certain kind of authenticity to the film, but also um, it brought a kind of uh, emotional intensity to those scenes that um, I think would have been difficult to achieve if we had brought in 1,500 people who had never lived through a moment like that and were expected to reenact it. Um, and so what that also meant is because I wasn't having to rehearse thousands of people as much as I otherwise would need to, I could move more quickly through those scenes, which meant they could, uh, I could shoot them bigger. And even though it was a really a sort of small budget film, a micro budget by Hollywood standards, um, uh, it appears larger than it, it otherwise would have. And not to trivialize, but how did you get a vulture in there? Is there a, a place you go for you, the vulture wrangler to come in and, and Initially, do that? the script had a large poodle. <laughs> and I was asking for that as well. Yeah. A large poodle, yeah, that would that would make it a lot easier. Um, so, uh, bizarrely enough, there are uh, there are vulture wranglers in there. South Africa, and uh, well, actually, there's only one vulture wrangler in South Africa, and that was their vulture. But there is so much sort of intense scrutiny on this film that I have umpteen emails with people complaining that the vulture's chest is a different color to the vulture in Kevin's actual photograph. So. Yeah, but what's funny is if we change that color or something, we'd be getting, you know, even more scrutiny too. So it's like, it's a no-win. That we CG'd the yeah, chest of the yeah. vulture. Right. Which is why the poodle was a good idea. I yeah. think. Agreed. Good. Has this film opened in South Africa? It's opening in July in South Africa. Mm -hmm. So you don't know what the reaction there has been yet. What do you expect? We've had some press screenings in South Africa and a few other screenings, and so far it's been positive. Um, yeah, I'm sure I'll be uh, uh, somewhat more nervous closer to the time. Yeah. I think we can take questions from the audience as well now. Um, do you have mics that go out there? Okay, great. Check, check, check. Yes, we have microphones. We'll okay. come out to you. Please raise your hand. Okay. This gentleman right over here. Hi, how are you? My question's for Greg. Can you uh, discuss what you think the future is of photojournalism and and photographers and documentary filmmakers overseas working? What the future is? What the future is? I think we're in a transitional phase. I think we've been through a very, very difficult patch in photojournalism and in media makers, let's put it that way. Um, and part of that's been the digitization and the transition to a fully-fledged digital environment. Um, so on the one hand, there's been the transition of, of people adapting to having competition from those 
who don't have the craft. But with the technology, you make very good-looking images and movies and things. On the on the other hand, there's also been a kind of sea change in the economic environment. And I'm not talking about the recession. I'm, I mean, in how, certainly in photography, how the business of photography happens. And there's just so many less jobs and assignments and paid-for work for people who do photojournalism and documentary photography. Uh, documentary filmmaking is a separate beast, and, and I'm no expert on the business of that. So, besides the fact that it's puzzling. Um, but I think that there's a kind of democratization of the business and of people allowing people to have a voice and internet and accessibility. And, and while it's not available that readily in, in poorer parts of the world, it's coming and it's coming very quickly. And I think what it's done is that it's cut out the middleman. And often journalists and the people whom journalists work for and are censors. And they censor people's stories and truths and things. And so there's now a way for people to tell their stories. And yes, there's still the media elite and, the, and all that kind of stuff who, who do that. But there is a way for stories to make their way into the world and, and, and find a life and a voice. Michael Chair, uh, my question is this, what message do you want to send out there in, re in regards to race relationship, especially in South Africa where things, and Africa as a whole, when they see this film, what message are you sending to the, the races? What message are we sending to the races? What to message do you want to send about uh, races in South Africa? Uh, sorry, uh, what message? I, oh, around the sort of the black or white, the race issue. I mean, the race issue here is something that is, it's not front and center in the film, but it's definitely present in the film. Um, one of the issues that gets sort of flagged in the film is the fact that for um, many African photojournalists, um, of whom there were a number, um, it was more difficult for African journalists to work in South Africa for many reasons, but particularly during this period, because in this conflict, um, if they were seen to be too closely associated with either side, um, they would um, they would become targets in that war, um, and they were too closely seen as parties to the conflict by one side or the another or, or the other. Whereas if you were white, um, and actually Greg can speak to this with much more authority, you were given some kind of, you were given a, a, cert, a measure of protection um, from that kind of accusation. I don't think the film sort of sets out to, um, you know, ha it doesn't have any kind of intentional message around, uh, around race in, in, in South Africa, um, other than to, you know, uh, to, to, to shine a light on um, a group of white men who, young men who at a very young age, made a choice that they didn't have to make. Like, uh, you know, they, they were quite able, like most other white South Africans, to bury their heads in the sand, uh, to live a very comfortable life under apartheid, and yet they didn't. They chose to, um, 
cross a divide to get into their cars at the crack of dawn every morning, travel into townships, um, walk into the middle of uh, often perilous situations and at times risk their lives um, to tell a story. And so the film in that sense um, explores why, you know, attempts to explore why people would make that kind of choice, what drove them to do it. And in this, in this particular film, um, the costs that were incurred, the prices they paid uh, in making those choices. Anyone else? Back there. Go ahead. What kind of camera were you using in film? Or were you using digital for when you were shooting in South Africa? The, the, the photographers? Oh, me. We you're were, ask, you're we, asking the, yeah. about we were, this. We were shooting on Aries. We shot on 35 mil. Sorry. Um, this took place over a whole long, wide period. So there's a whole variety of cameras. But I think the, the majority of the film was with Nikon. Other questions back there? In the back, check. In the back, right here. Hi. Um, this one to uh, Steven and then Taylor. What I want to ask you that, to raise money for such a film took a very long time and it's very hard. Where did your luck change and why? And Taylor, what did you think when you first got a script to do this? Is this something that you wanted to do with Independent? Were you, did you want him as the actor initially? Was he attached to it? How did it come about? <laughs> Me first? You first. Uh, yes, this is, I mean, it's rare. I mean, obviously being a true story and um, an incredible one, and I think it shouldn't be forgotten as well. And so when you get a script like this as an actor, it's, it's truly, for me personally, why I got into it is to tell a story and to, to you know, raise awareness and bring s someone into a, uh, you know, it's, I mean, all movies are escapism, but I think we can take so much from this, and it's just rare to get a role like this. So it was a dream role for me. So right when I got that script, I had to fly down the next day and... Um, <clears throat> pitch myself to Mr. Silver and I'm grateful he took a risk on me. Um, but yeah, it's a, probably the most, um, well it is, it's the most challenging thing I've ever taken on uh, quite uh, in my career but also personally as well, just the stretches we did. I can tell you a quick story about that, that uh, Taylor and Ryan share an agent and who was, is a real friend of the film and I was leaving Los Angeles that morning and he phoned and said, look, you've got to see my guy. And I said, no, I promised the producers, uh, there were a couple of other actors I was looking at and I promised them that I'm getting on a plane now and by the time I landed, I was flying to Toronto, I would have a choice about who was going to play Kevin. And, uh, and uh, Taylor's agent said, no, you, you, you're going to meet my guy. And uh, I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be leaving this afternoon if you can get to the hotel um, I'll meet him. And so I sat in the foyer of the hotel and in Los Angeles and Taylor walked through the glass doors and walked towards where I was sitting and he walked and walked and he sat down and what I remember is that by the time he sat down in my head I went, um, if this guy speaks English and can string a sentence together he's got the part. <laughs> and literally that's what I thought. I thought and kind of like two sentences in he tells me, I, I, listen I bought a Leica. You know? <laughs> And, you know, that was it. It was, uh, there was something about, I mean, I can talk about it, but there was, uh, Taylor has a, 
you know, I, I think he was already sort of working Kevin and he had a sort of way of occupying a space in the world and a way that he moved and a rhythm to, to the way in which he moved that was, he just reminded me of uh, the sort of one or two interviews I'd seen with Kevin and the multitude of photographs that I'd, uh, I'd, I'd have, you know, I'd had of him and, and everything that anyone ever described about him. And, um, and I think it's up on the screen. So you were lucky he could act and speak English. So. Yeah. Yeah. We have time for one more question, one and this it question. is right here in the center. Hi, my question's for Taylor. I want to know what the difference is acting a fictional role, such as the Tim Riggins role, versus a real-life character from an emotional and a craft standpoint. So much. Um, like we discussed earlier, having these guys uh, with you, the stakes are just ten times higher and then some, you know? Um, I think just even fictional with, with Riggs or even anybody I've played, especially with Riggins, it's, uh, I can take them anywhere I want, you know, there's not a responsibility that I'd have. And, um, with Kev, it was, you're, you're way more conscious of, of doing him what he deserves and, um, you know, and playing him with the integrity that he left with. Um, so it's a huge difference in, a, in regards to responsibility to even prep and, and uh, just to do it honest. And, you know, I was never worried about just the entertaining part. I think personally, if you can play this guy honestly, he was just his incredible part. So fun to play, but yeah. Well, I can't believe that we are out of time, but if you haven't seen the film, it's really an amazing experience and an amazing performance. So thank you all very much for sharing all of this with us. And thank, thank you. you for coming.